A few years ago, I was a part of a learning program that took our class into an inner-city school in, Ch in Chattanooga. And as the principal was showing us around, she pointed to a particular classroom and said this, that in that classroom was a student whose father was a king drug pen in Chattanooga. After she said those words, I began to imagine what life might be, must be like for that particular child. I also wondered what a challenge that particular teacher faced as she not only taught that child, but also ta taught others in that class setting that came from dysfunctional situations. You know, no human being has the choice as to what kind of family he or she is born into. We're just born into a family. Some come into loving, warm families where they are loved and nurtured, and others come into very dysfunctional homes. Some even come into homes where there's a great deal of violence. And while we have no choice about our family of origin and what kind of families we are born into, I believe that we all have some choice as to the kind of families that we create, that we develop. Now, for those who come from very dysfunctional situations, the challenge can be great to break the cycles of dysfunction. But yet I believe even those who come from those kinds of families have choice. Those who come from good, loving, caring families have the choice of continuing that love and care in the families that they are a part of and the families that they form. Paul, in writing his second letter to his protege, Timothy, he offered a very personal note about the structure of Timothy's family. Now, Paul himself had invested a great deal into his protege, Timothy, but he realized that Timothy was a young man of deep faith. And he realized that much of who Timothy had become was a product of the family from which he originated. But what's unique about Paul's words to Timothy is he only mentions Timothy's mother and grandmother as being agents of the faith that he had experienced. It's rather unique that there's absolutely no mention of Timothy's father and or grandfather. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for that. You know, it could have been that... Uh, uh, both uh, uh, Timothy's grandmother and his mother were widowed, and there was no man present in their household because of that. It could have been that either or both of them had been divorced, and there was no man present in that as well. It could have been that, uh, that there was no father or grandfather who were a part of the, the, the Christian faith, were not followers of Jesus Christ, and so maybe they were just absent, as it were, uh, in that situation. It could have been that, that uh, uh, Timothy's mother was a single mom and had never been married. We really don't know the context, but what we know is that Timothy really didn't come from what many would consider that conventional Christian home 
where there is a believing mother, a believing father, and they help nurture the children in the faith. But yet, even though Timothy's family wasn't in that conventional model, this grandmother and mother nurtured and helped to raise Timothy in a Christian environment. You know, in Paul's day, there were a lot of unconventional families and homes where people were nurtured in the faith and raised in ways that helped them to become good and productive people. Of course, that's been true throughout history. And it's even true in our day and time. Uh, when Patty, before Patty's retirement, she taught elementary school. And I've oftentimes joked that, that Patty, when she would come home after school, would treat me the same way that she had been treating her students during the day for, the, for an hour or two. And I really loved it when Patty taught kindergarten. It was great. She would wipe my nose and tie my shoes. I mean, it was absolutely wonderful. I loved those days. But when she taught third grade, let me tell you, it's tough. Third grade is tough. You got to do everything yourself when you're in third grade. But Patty also would oftentimes share with me the home settings of her students. And many of her students came from a variety of home structures. There were single dads raising the kids. There were single moms raising the kids. There were blended families who had been brought together where one or more of the parents had been divorced. They came together and sometimes they brought their families together and then they had children themselves. There were grandparents raising their children. There were sometimes extended members raising the children. And one really, the oddest I think that she had was actually the father and mother of a particular child uh, were not really living together, but they had their boyfriend and girlfriend living in the same house with the child. And were all kinds of different family structures. And I was always fascinated when Patty would describe the backgrounds of many of her students. But you know, as I began to reflect on that, I realized that that's not just true in a public school. It's oftentimes true even in the local church as people really want to come and know Jesus and have involvement with the faith community and be a part of a family that really cares for them. People will sometimes come from a, a variety of, of backgrounds hoping to make connection with Jesus, their lives to be better, and their families to be more put together. You know, and God can work through whatever structure exists. And whatever structure you may be a part of, God can use you to help make a better, healthier family. Uh, by the way, I want you all to know this. Uh, this this is kind of special to me. My dad has been with us the past couple of weeks, and my dad will celebrate a birthday this week. He will be 89 years old on Tuesday. Isn't that amazing? 89 years old. <laughs> now, the amazing thing is, he will be 89 years old, and he has survived raising my brother and me. Now, my sister's pretty good, but he's survived raising my brother and me. <laughs> but when I was a child, uh, my father and mother uh, took in two sisters, not at the same time. They were teenagers when Dad and Mom took them in the home as foster children. My sister and I were a little bit younger, and they took them in. And these two sisters came from extreme rural poverty. Their home was extremely dysfunctional. The house in which they grew up in 
was as likely to have farm animals inside the house as it was to have human beings inside the house. Now, Dad, I'm not sure your mom were quite equipped and knew what to do with these foster teenagers and how to do that. But what I did notice was that mom and dad loved these girls, these young women, and tried to nurture them in the faith and give them an opportunity to make something of themselves. I remember several years ago, a woman by the name of Martha who started attending church, and she was uh, 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 retired, and uh, she was one of those people that was ready to pitch in and do anything. Martha was an amazing person. And, you know, if, uh, if there was something that needed to be done, she was willing to try to, to do it. She was one of the most faithful people there were in the church. And, and one of the characteristics of Martha was that she was a grandmother. Now, being retired, it's not unusual for a person at retirement age to be a grandparent. Uh, but the thing about Martha that was unique was she not only was a grandmother, but she was raising her elementary age grandson who sometimes could be quite around her and she brought him to church with her nurtured him in the faith today Travis has grown up and he's a, quite a successful young man I have a friend who uh, who grew up in a very dysfunctional home uh, where his parents really lived separate lives his mother was a self-proclaimed witch, not just that she was a mean person, but actually practiced Wicca or witchcraft. And he really had very little opportunity, and home life was extremely dysfunctional. But my friend had an aunt who loved him and cared about him and would pick him up on Sunday mornings to take him to church to see that he was in worship and to see that he was in Sunday school. She planted in him the faith and nurtured the faith. All kinds of different backgrounds. Timothy's background isn't what we might consider ideal. Maybe none of these that I mentioned seem to be ideal. And we could go on and talk about a lot of stories of people that are nurtured. And maybe even in your own life, maybe in your present home, it may not be an ideal situation. But yet, God can work through what is. And we can choose in what we have now to create better and healthier homes. As Paul opens up his second letter to his, uh, his, his, his friend and protege, Timothy, he, he begins, to, he begins to, to, to talk about Timothy's influence of his grandmother and his mother. And a little bit later on in the letter, Paul talks about how that his protege, even from a child was taught the Holy Scripture that his grandmother and his mother were those who nurtured him in the faith. Do you know that the home, the family, is the primary classroom where all of us learn how to live life? It's where we learn to live life. There's no learning setting that has a greater impact on us in our homes, in our lives, than our life in our home. A blogger for the Children's Bureau rightly asserts that the family is responsible for 
shaping a child and influencing their values, skills, socialization, and security. In my opinion, that happens whether it is intentional or not. And it's not always positive, the values, socialization, and security and skills that our children develop either. But it happens most and most profoundly in our homes. Don't you love being around young children? I, I was with my uh, youngest granddaughter the other day, and I just love how she says, Papa. Gosh, it just melts my heart. But those, our little children, they're like sponges. They watch everything we do. They hear what we say even when we don't think they're listening, don't they? And then they imitate us. So you better watch what you say in front of them because it's going to come out someplace else. It's amazing how our children are observing us and what we say and what we do really matters. Now, as our children grow and as they become older elementary and then they enter into their teens... They're not so much mimicking us anymore, but they are still watching. And our children get to the place where they're watching to see if what we say we stand for, what we claim we stand for, the faith that we proclaim, whether it's real to us or not. And if not, they'll let us know about it, won't they? They'll let us know about it. You see, how we live really matters in our home. It really matters. Our children see what we do, whether they are 2 years old or whether they are 17 years old. They see, hear, experience what we do. And all of that becomes important in nurturing them and training them in the way they should go. One passage of Scripture that uh, is very popular, that probably is one of the most known related to child rearing, is found in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And this verse reads this way. It says, Train children in the right way, and when they are old, they will not stray. Now, many people have used that verse as a promise, meaning this, that if we nurture our children in the right way, if we nurture them in the ways of God, that if in their life they wander away when they grow older, there will be a point where they come back. And quite honestly, I like to claim that as a promise because I have a child in kind of that place of life. Hopefully that my child will return. But this verse is much deeper, though, than just a promise about a child's return to the faith. You see, it's talking about how very important it is in our homes to nurture our children in healthy and good ways. It's a call to train them in the faith. I love when we baptize our children. You've heard me ask Katie a question about nurturing her children by faith in the faith by her example and practice. 
to nurture our children, to train them up in the way they should go, to train them up in the right way requires, requires awareness and intentionality. You see, saying the home is the primary and first classroom doesn't mean that it happens in a, quote, classroom. It's not that at, at our homes we're going to set up chairs and, you know, you're going to have the teacher's desk in front of the kids and you're going to teach them that way. Now, you might do that in some situations, but that's pretty rare and quite honestly kind of weird sometimes. But, man, just in how we do things every day has an impact on our children. You see, our children see what we do. They perceive the choices that we make and what those choices mean in relationship to our values. Our children see how we treat others. If I, as a grandparent, treat other people with contempt, my grandchildren see it. If I treat others with kindness, my grandchildren see it. Our children see how we handle our emotions, whether it's anger or fear or anxiety, because they too feel the same emotions we do, but they learn how to deal with their emotions, hopefully in healthier ways. Our children see what happens when we just plain mess up and do something we shouldn't do, say something we shouldn't say, make a choice we shouldn't make. They see what we do. And what we do in response to our mistakes. Our children experience our choices firsthand. And when it comes to passing on the faith, those choices are important. Our children see our practice of spiritual exercises, whether we ever read the Bible, whether we ever pray or not. They notice what we do. They notice whether church and participation is important to us or not. They notice. For several decades, I've watched something happen that quite honestly breaks my heart. It was beginning to happen when my kids were younger, and it has just accelerated as time has gone on. And I have found that so many families, parents, have to wrestle with these choices. And it's how that sports, arts, and extracurricular activities in so many times have become so exalted in the choices that people make and have become first place. I've watched over the past three decades, four decades of ministry, how that some families, when the traveling season starts, the kids are no longer around the church and the families just evaporate. Now, I want you to know I'm a sports lover. I'm an arts lover. I like extracurricular things. I think they're great. They're things that, 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 that folks learn in sports that are valuable lessons that they may not be able to learn in other places. You know, if you're with me in 
I'm watching football or basketball. I squirm and I move with all the people, you know, the whole time. Patty will sometimes smack my legs because I've got so much action going. But what's most important? What's most important? There's nothing on this earth more important than our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than living a life apart of the kingdom of God here on earth with the hope of life eternal in Him. There is nothing more, nothing better that we can pass on to our children than this. I know there's a flip side of this. We as a church have to learn how to minister to families who are are involved in, in those kinds of activities and so forth and how we can take the gospel to them. But we as parents and grandparents and as families learn, must learn how to make our priorities our priorities, when to say no to things, even when it's very uncomfortable to say no to things, so that we can say yes to those things of utmost importance. You see, passing on our faith is absolutely critical. I don't want us to see us raising up a generation of secular children who really don't know Jesus. I want to see us raising up men and women of God who live out the faith, who stand for the faith, who experience the joy of serving and living for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to challenge you this morning. Whether you are a Grandparent, parent, an uncle, an aunt, a friend. Live intentionally. Live intentionally. Live intentionally for the good. Live out your values before our children and before our youth so that they may know the living Savior. Will you live your life faithfully? Will you live your faith faithfully? And you will pass it on to the next generation. You see, I want my children to know Jesus. I want my children's children to know Jesus. I want my children's children children to know Jesus. And I want that for you as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus... We thank you that you can work through all of our situations and all of our family structures. We thank you, Lord, that you can take where we are now and you can take us to a better place in our families. And Lord, help us now to make those choices on a daily basis, on an hour-to-hour basis that will help us to get there. And help us, Lord, to live out our faith faithfully in our homes so that all of our children, our children's children, and our children's children's children may know you. Bless the homes, Lord, here where people are struggling, homes where there's brokenness and hurt and pain. Bring healing as only you can do. Give wisdom to uh, the parents and guardians. Lord, I pray that you would guide. And Lord, we pray that you would do your work and may us experience the joy of knowing Jesus in our homes. For it's in Christ's beautiful name we pray. Amen.